Hi, and welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Howard Drew Karsh. For those who don't know me, I've been a successful realtor in Canada's largest market for over 30 years. And in the latter part of my career, I co-founded Canada's largest independent brokerage, Right at Home Realty. In 2020, I retired to start this podcast, and it's been a remarkable opportunity to meet fascinating and highly successful guests in real estate and related fields, and to find out about their careers and get their insight into our industry. Today's guest is one of those people, Phil Soper, President and CEO of Royal LePage and Bridgemark Real Estate Services, a, Bro- a Brookfield company. Uh, I've known Phil for many years, and I know him um, as um, an entrepreneur in terms of building a company. I know him as a musician. We played together in charity events in the past. I know he's an avid golfer. I know him and his wife are avid curlers, and they may almost be champions, for what I recall. I don't know if they made it all the way to champions. Um, his extensive awards would be its own podcast, which we're going we're gonna to hold off. And the charity events he's done would be its own podcast as well. The one that fascinated me is this uh, incredibly interesting guy crossed the desert on behalf of a charity. So that's my introduction to Phil. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Howard, great to be on and congratulations uh, for getting it rolling and uh, gathering the audience you have in relatively short period of time. It's a busy media world out there and you've You've found a unique voice, so good good on you. Well, thanks. And you're probably the person who's had more media attention than anybody. <laughs> and you understand, uh, you know, the role of how media can really help uh, uh, help promote anything if you do it right. So so thanks for taking the time. Uh, I mean, I know, th- I know you and I know the responsibilities. We're going to try to keep it to half an hour, okay? Okay. So on my questions, um, the first one I have is, because I think people may not know this, they know you certainly in terms of your role with Royal LePage and Bridgemark. But before that, what was your career before getting into real estate? Well, it, really three parts. I, I started my career in the oil industry. Mm-hmm. I, I have an undergraduate degree uh, in business and started in the oil industry. But I always wanted to work in um, IT and information technology. Mm-hmm. So I completed... Um, computer science and started as a systems engineer with IBM back in the uh, mid 80s. And I worked for IBM in in lots of different roles uh, through the 90s in Canada, the United States. I had a stint in in Europe. Uh, It was a great, great time. Uh, The 90s were fascinating because it was, I know you recall the dot-com era. It was really Mm -hmm. when uh, we introduced uh, the internet to the world of business before it had just been an academic construct, but uh, it it changed everything and uh, had a great time. But around 2000, uh, found myself a single parent of a couple of very young kids, one-year-old and a four-year-old, and IBM wanted to ship me back to New York, and I didn't want to leave. Um, so uh, an old friend from from undergrad days, uh, pulled me up and said, hey, the the CEO of Barola Page is looking for someone to run uh, their relocation company, uh, which was a big deal back in the early 2000s. And uh, I took the meeting and, and a few months later, I left IT and uh, joined the wonderful world of real estate. And, you know, from there, it was, uh, it was kind of a, a whirlwind 
a bit of change 18 months later. Uh, that fellow's name was Simon Dean, one of my great mentors, mm -hmm. retired and I got the nod to run the whole show. So been in real estate a long time now, but I, I got there through a different path than a lot of people. It's interesting. Uh, uh, my own background does cross through Royal Page as well. My, my former partner or my late partner, Arthur Bartram, and I were both at the Johnston Daniel office. He was the, uh, uh, he was the general manager of that office. And I did know Simon Dean as well in those days. So, you know, in this business, the longer you're in it, uh, the, the more you, you don't have a lot of people who have those memories. People don't last as you and I have. But, yeah, uh, that's true. It was, uh, they were, it, we're just, uh, we're sticky. Yes, we've we, stuck well. We refuse to go away, Howard. And, and the other thing is we've both seen, I think, uh, to, to bring to the discussion technology, you know, prior to the Internet, there hadn't been, you know, I, I started in real estate in the mid-'80s. And if you wanted to learn about real estate and houses, you had to go to the office, you had to look at the printed listings, you know, everything was type up offers. So you and I have also gone through technology changes, which haven't stopped, to where the business is nowhere. In fact, when I started, most of the people in the office were older people. As you know, now most of the people in the business are younger people. I mean, it's really quite a different business. And, uh, and it's, I, I would say it's been the most exciting time to be in real estate. Um, very, very exciting time. And it's a people business. Right. You, technology has had a lot to do with the changes in our life altogether. You know, you and I conducting this, uh, mm -hmm. this chat mm -hmm. from different locations. This would not have been an easy thing to do even a few years ago. So technology has changed everybody's life, no matter what your profession uh, but real estate remains a people business and people people like you and i uh, continue to be incredibly important to, to leaning it and to helping people maximize the, the the joy and the success they get from their careers yeah, and the excitement you know people uh, there's a lot of tech well not a lot but there is some discussion that you know technology will eliminate real estate agents when I was active in the company, I would always say to new people, because I did a lot of recruiting when I was there, is, you know, bricks and mortar are the product, but you're really just dealing with people and their emotions. That's what real estate is. And, and uh, once you get it through your head, it's not about how you certainly have to know the inventory, but you have to know how to deal with people. Otherwise, it won't work. So, and you're great at that. I know you so well. Um, what was the biggest challenge when you made the, the career change uh, from IBM to Royal Page? Uh, interesting question. You know, in the corporate world, and I did lots of world, uh, roles in the old corporate world back, you know, it's over 20 years ago now, but remember it well. Uh, it tends to be a bit of a traditional pyramid. You can get flat organizational structures or those that are steeper. But but when you're the big boss, people do what you say. You know, you, you still have to have everybody on board to ensure you have retention. And, and organizations with collaborative leadership work effectively. But real estate really is an inverted pyramid with the frontline practitioners at the top, not even our team leaders. The actual frontline practitioners run the show. Team leaders are beholden to the team members. 
broker owner managers are beholden to their their teams and when you run a big national firm like i you're you're running more like a it's more like being a political leader where you yes people vote for you and they give you your your confident they have confidence in you or they they elect you in in the real estate world by staying by retention by attraction by by joining your firm but you are a servant leader you 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 realize your job is to enable them and in many ways to give them the the tools and means to be successful and then stand back and get out of your way so in in the corporate world it can it can be more command and control i say you must do this and everybody falls into line in the real estate world it is i have a great idea let me explain it to you and please give it your consideration and if you're successful they fall into line so it's a it's influence and cajoling versus command and control that that would be the biggest difference and and, you know i've spent uh, over 30 years in the business i think if you were to walk into a room and you know and say this is the way it is going to you're going to walk into a branch office and i remember gino used to come to the office when i was at the at the jane d office and if he was to come in the office say, okay this is the way it's going to be and everyone has to agree all those people would be at another brokerage because <laughs> the, the the ego you know to be successful there's a balance of ego and customer service that's the way i see it you have to you have to be able to take um, rejection it's a big part of sales you know that from ibm as well and when you can handle rejection and keep moving forward and you have the skill set to deal with people, you, you'll handle this business well. And, you know, I, 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 the more people you, in, you meet in this business, uh, at least for me, the more fascinating I find people, the ones that succeed. They're, they're, there's no rule. That you, you can't say so-and-so will succeed because of this. You know, I no, remember- it's, it, it's true. Uh, if I look at the very top of the industry, right. we have business people. Um, People who are great with um, with numbers, with finance. We have teachers. We have uh, a, one of the top agents in the Collingwood area for us, and one of the top agents overall. Uh, used to be the uh, commander at Meaford uh, Base, Canadian hmm. Force Base. Meaford uh, had something like fifteen thousand or fifteen hundred troops under his command. So you get these these people who are obvious leaders who are leaders in the industry and people who were, you know, they were, they were givers, nurses, another category of people. I find people who have organizational skills, people skills, as, as we've already uh, talked about and drive tend to be successful Mm -hmm. uh, regardless of their, their background. Now you have to be, at least competent in that. Um, one thing that that really uh, drives me crazy as a real estate professional who doesn't understand the financial implications of these these uh, very expensive properties that they are brokering. Uh, but beyond that, you don't need to be a finance expert. Um, you don't even need to be the world's best salesperson if you're a great listener, if you're organized, if uh, if you focus on clients' needs, do the right thing, uh, take the high road, uh, success will, will come your way. 
And I think the thing that a lot of times that happens in the business is because there's a time money race when you start, right? This is a commission-based business. Um, it, depending on the market, depending on all those skills you talk about, it, you, you may find that, uh-oh, you know, I haven't had the sales yet. And then the worst thing you can ever do is compromise your integrity because you'll be out of the business, right? So you have to be able to survive that. The other thing I found fascinating uh, in the business is there are clients, just like there are uh, uh, agents for every brokerage, there are clients for every agent. There are, there are agents that work in T-shirts, and they got clients that love guys that work in women that work in T-shirts. And they're, to the other extreme, there are people that come out of corporate and are very businesslike, and there are clients that want that. So, you know, anybody watching uh, our podcast uh, thinking about real estate, there is no rule on how to be successful. I mean, you've talked about the, the skill set. The, that I'll tell to. you a quick little story. Uh, one of the roles uh, when you run a national uh, company and you've been part of this back in the day mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, the CEO flies in, you have a, a gala and uh, you parade your award winners up on stage. Uh, incredible, incredible differences in with different people in different parts of the world. So I'm coming from Montreal where uh, everybody kisses each other. This is pre-COVID, of course, but I truly believe it's probably going to come back in uh, Quebec. Mm-hmm. So they come on stage, they're dressed to the absolute nines, and it's... And uh, lots, lots of uh, Latin uh, uh, joy and celebration and hugging and kissing. Then I fly to Alberta and that year the Alberta Awards were in Red Deer. And uh, I'm on stage and uh, I had just given the little air kiss on the cheek to a woman who had come on board and another woman comes on, top award winner, did a lot of uh, rural farm properties, big farm properties. And she looked a little stern and she was, I'm six feet tall, she was about six feet tall and she walks up and I lean in and she gives me a straight arm. Boom. <laughs> hits me right in the middle of her chest. <laughs> like she didn't want me to come any closer. And uh, I stuck out my hand like uh, I said, handshake. And she goes, I'm good. So we spin <laughs> to the photographer and the and the, the crowd and we're standing like American Gothic there. Yeah. You know, a, a big distance between the two of us grimly looking out at the audience. So yes, you can be a very different personality. You dress differently. Right. You can behave differently as long as though, if you, as long as you put your client first, right. you deliver. Uh, and I think it really does help to be a bit of a people person. Not too many people that hate people right. are successful in this business, but I bet there are some. And I think that's the key. I think you know, for me, and, and uh, going back to the beginning of my career, before that I was in marketing, but that's also people. I always find, I always found meeting new people fascinating. Like I never, it, my wife used to say to me, we'd go away on vacation, Rosemary would say, you talk to everybody. You know, like, and she was looking to have a quiet vacation. We'd get on an elevator and say, hey, how you doing? You know, like it was just, I know you're the same. We like people. And I think, I think that's a skill set you can't fake. You either like them or you don't. So, and I'm enjoying this. You know know what? There are jobs in this world. I think in our research, the work from home phenomenon, because all of our headquarters people have been uh, working out of the office. Our office has been open for some time now, Mm -hmm. uh, according to public health guidelines in Ontario. 
but we've allowed people to stay at home in, until September when we're expecting them to be back in a hybrid fashion. Mm -hmm. For some of them, because uh, we've asked them, we've gone out and confidentially surveyed, what do you like, what do you don't like uh, about virtual work? For some of them, they hated the isolation and they wanted to be, be back, back in the office where their colleagues were. Uh, for others, it was just a, uh, a godsend. Not only did they get to skip the commute, which for some people is, is painful, uh, but they, they got quiet, they got focused time, and, and it just lifted them up. So I think we have to recognize that uh, in, in our jobs and in our real estate teams. Our frontline people have to realize when they're hiring people, when they're hiring, for example, administrators, they may do better in a different work environment than, say, their licensed assistants who are frontline client-facing uh, salespeople. Yeah, it's uh, clearly, uh, and a lot of people we've talked to uh, see September as the kind of the next uh, uh, change in, in society. So we'll, we'll, we'll all see. Um, I wanted to find out about this because I know, I know you've had so, so many uh, challenges uh, uh, like everybody. I mean, there was no training on how to run a major corporation in a pandemic that I know of. I mean, you know, it just it didn't exist. So that's that's something you have to come up with. But what were the biggest rewards in your role as CEO of uh, Rolla Page and Bridgemark so far? Biggest rewards for you? You mean overall, not just yeah. um, during the pandemic? Yeah, overall. So the, I'd say it's a big company, right? If you look at... If you look at our agents, we're over 20,000 now. And if you add uh, staff and leadership, it, it, it's around 23,000 people. And when we, well, when I came on, and most of my senior team has been with me since the beginning of my tenure. So, so call it 15, uh, almost 20 years now, um, people I've been working together with a core of people and, and together, uh, you know, that business is, has tripled. So probably the most rewarding part of this job has been creating the opportunity for people's to, people to have rewarding careers. Um, you know, job creation in general, I think is one of the understated, understated things in leadership. Uh, because if you're creating good work for people, good work, we're, we're not ants, but we have a lot of ant or bee-like characteristics. I think if you don't have fulfilling work in your life, uh, it's hard to be happy. We all know the story of the, of the, the trust fund uh, child who really doesn't work because they don't have to. And I think the stereotype has a lot of truth in it. Without contribution, without quality work, it, it's hard to be happy. Now, some people find that through charitable initiatives. Some people uh, find it through, uh, call it hobbies that become vocations. Uh, but if you, you're lucky enough to find something uh, you love to do for all the hours we spend at life during our adult careers. Uh, 
it doesn't feel like work, does it? It feels like joy. You get you get a passion that's different from the passion you have of getting together with family or friends or your hobbies. And I know you and I are guys that are always busy and we have hobbies we really enjoy. Uh, but the work joy, the joy of career of, of being in a job you love is great. So you know, that's probably what I'm most proud of is that uh, for thousands of people, uh, you know, we've created, uh, I've helped create a an environment where they can love what they do. And I've been to, uh, I was, uh, you were kind enough to invite me to roll a page events in the past. And I could see, you know, your relationship with people is great. Um, uh, particularly like the one, um, the Western one, where you were dressed up like what you are at, at, you know, at the root as a cowboy. And you were dressed up like a cowboy and they loved it. Um, you know, it's interesting when, when you talk about, uh, the, the, you know, uh, the way you help people uh, find find uh, success, you know, just by giving them the tools. I, I think that's what great leaders do. I mean, it's not about me, the leader. It's about helping people improve. And uh, and people get that. They, they understand if you're there for them or not. And I think uh, it, it, builds a, it builds a real estate company, builds a, it builds an IBM, it builds everything if people recognize that you're there for them. And uh, it's... Uh, I think if you've come up through challenges uh, on a personal note, um, you know, personal challenges help you relate to people. I think your point about trust funds, if you've gotten money and you've never had to work for money and you've never had to experience the, the downs, which there are in life, and the ups, which there are, how do you relate to other people who, who have that all the time? But uh, anyway, if we keep talking, you're going to miss whatever meeting you have next. I just want to get there. <laughs> this is like, you know, if we went out, this would be the same conversation. It just happens to be recorded today. So now you talked about traveling across Canada uh, in one part of this uh, country. You, you got uh, some nice kisses on the cheek and the other you got a straight arm to the chest. Um, I know that you travel. And from a business perspective, um, it gives you... I'm, I'm asking, and I suppose you, I know this a bit, it's got to give you a different insight when you travel to the East Coast, uh, the central part of the country, and the West Coast. I know you do a lot of traveling in your job um, about how the business is operating. Um, is that one of the benefits you get when you're doing the traveling? You know, if you don't love travel, you'd hate a job like mine. I'm actually tomorrow off to Sault Ste. Marie. An actual in-person. It's a, a big anniversary for the city uh, and for our business there. So we've got um, MPPs and uh, the mayor, and I'll be giving a speech. The uh, a, a, ro a roller pager from Ottawa, David Oikel, the, Oikel, the uh, president of uh, the Ontario Real Estate Association, will be there. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a great event, and it's a traditional in-person uh, wow. event. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, in a typical year, I might do 70 flights. That's Jeez. not during COVID, but right. if you hate that, you'd hate a job like mine. I enjoy it. Yeah. You know the the difference between the way we practice business in in urban, suburban, and rural situations uh, or locations is very different. The offices are different. The approach to clients is, uh, are different. Even the way we leverage technology is different. Uh, and it's different in uh, Newfoundland than it is in Quebec, than it is in Ontario, than it is in um, 
the prairies or, or BC. So every part of the country has its flavor and its difference. Even the structure, and you know this, uh, Howard, but a lot of your listeners, particularly from Central Canada, wouldn't. The way commissions work mm-hmm. in Alberta and British Columbia is different from the rest of the, the country. It's uh, historical. They, they, uh, the old list price on a on a fee on a brokerage fee is seven percent on the first hundred thousand, and then three percent on the balance. And and there's of course people who will uh, uh, undercut or or provide lower fees from there. So you go, whoa, you know, the average price of a home in in Vancouver is a million and a half dollars. So it's really only 3%. Hmm. So you're starting with a lower fee in British Columbia, which is our most expensive real estate market in Canada, uh, than you are, say, in uh, the greater Toronto area. So uh, you have to re-engineer your business, your frontline practice, your brokerage, and and the way you deliver services as a national firm by region. And that's fascinating. Uh, the accents are different. Uh, my French isn't great, but I get to, you know, have the challenge of uh, speaking and giving presentations in French in an important part of our country where, what, 23% of Canadians live. Mm-hmm. So, so it is a big, fascinating uh, country we live and work in, and certainly enough variety to keep things interested, interesting for this this uh, real estate leader. And I think most people who aren't uh, in real estate, or even some that are, don't recognize that every province uh, has its own regulator and guidelines on how the, how the business operates. There's a national um, level, Canadian Real Estate Association, but in Ontario, it's the Ontario Real Estate Association. And the, you probably know all of them because you've been to every province. But if you, if you move from, if you're an agent in one province moving to another, you have to learn how that province operates. You, you know, you bring up a good point. Um, in, in going back to the pandemic, and, and uh, we did talk about it a bit, but for you personally, what was the biggest challenge? I mean, um, the business side of it, every business had challenges, but how would you define for you the biggest challenge? Well, it changed as the pandemic progressed. Certainly, I have never worked harder than I did from mid-March 2020 through probably the end of May. Uh, It was seven days a week. It was up at the crack of dawn and working till late because we did not know uh, when the light would appear at the end of the tunnel. It was terrifying when you have this, this huge company and all these people and the potential you know, there, were, there was no insight into the COVID catalyst then. We did release at that time a very insightful and one that stood out, I'd say, from the other major forecasters, certainly from C, uh, uh, CMHC, which, which blew their forecast. But even the major banks, uh, Bank of Canada, we did predict the flow of the market in 2020 and the lift in the second half. Uh, but that didn't mean we weren't preparing for um, Armageddon. I created a, a crisis management team, a CMT. We met every single day. It had the key senior leaders in the business. Their uh, participation was mandatory. 
And every day we went through the list of what we were doing, how we were re-engineering the business to work virtually, how we were supporting our frontline people. And, and I find, I, I think this is another thing, you know, when I look back on my career that I was proud about was how we could share some of our learnings with uh, others in the industry. So we had a, a WorkSafe program, WorkSafe for all the page it was called. I got a call uh, from our our uh, leader, our, our broker owner manager in, in Windsor, Frank Piner, and he said, you know, our my my uh, colleagues here, my competitors in in uh, the Windsor region don't have anything like this. Can I share it with them? I go absolutely. This is an existential crisis for the whole industry. So we're in this together. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of sharing and uh, people people basically backing each other up. Someone with a uh, uh, an immune compromised child who was terrified about showing a property mm-hmm. to someone who really needed uh, housing, an agent in their office or their community would step up, show the property and not even take a referral fee. It was, it was all for one, one for all. And our role, my role was communicate, 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 like constantly over communicate, share, innovate, leverage the tools we have and rapidly develop new tools for the situation. And the industry, the world uh, rose to the challenge. And of course, we had the COVID catalyst, what I called the three P's of the pandemic, puppies, Peloton and property. As as, uh, so many Canadians looked at their homes and saw that they had become their restaurants, their gyms, right. their their uh, clubs, right. their movie theaters, uh, their offices, uh, and found their properties lacking. They just didn't fit their needs. The the pandemic became one of the most unusual and powerful catalysts for property transaction transactions in our history, and we had to pivot and take advantage of that too. Uh, so. Fascinating time, terror in the beginning, um, hard work, and uh, it got us and the industry through it, and then into capitalization uh, time. You know, the company will grow in terms of a raw number of new, uh, net new people uh, in this 18 month period faster than any time we have in, oh, seven or eight. Uh, years. So it really has been a good time for the industry. And, and those who saw that and, and were there for their people, uh, they're all benefited. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you're right. I think that it, it exposed the, exposed the best and the worst of people, this pandemic. Um, so I'm just got two more questions cause I'm going to try to stick to the 30 minutes. Cause I know, I know how busy you are, Phil. Um, how do you see the rest? And and you get to ask these questions by all the media. So now you'll get it asked by me. How do you see the rest of 2021 in terms of prices for homes and for condos? Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll start with the latter part first. Condos condos haven't fared as well as detached homes for many well-publicized region, reasons. People felt they needed more space and they could work from home 
And so they went farther afield. What doesn't get reported on often is that there was already pre-pandemic a mega trend or maybe two mega trends underway that were seeing that kind of migration from from uh, dense urban cores where people people uh, were thrilled to live in sexy condominiums in in exciting cities to suburban and exurban as we call it roll a page uh, those centers outside of comfortable uh, commuting distance to our big cities and that was baby boomers finally shedding kids took a long time the uh, the, the, the children of the baby boomers stayed at home longer than any previous generation. They're finally leaving. Our, our recent research showed 87% of baby boomers are now empty nesters. So they've looked at their homes. They've been looking at their homes since the middle of the last decade and saying, you know, this doesn't fit my needs now. And it's not a financially driven a necessity for most baby boomers. It's a lifestyle choice. They're looking for a different kind of home than the one they have. So, and many of them, 54% told us this, were looking for homes that were rural in nature, call it recreational or, or somewhat recreational uh, property. Maybe it's small town, maybe it is a, a cottage or cabin on a lake, but that's, that's, a, that's a big migratory uh, happening. In fact, our research shows 3.2 million baby boomers intend to transact in real estate over the next five years. That's a massive uh, number of additional transactions in an already tight market. So that that was the, the one part. The other is millennials. They're growing up. They're having that, not just the first kid, but the second kid. And that's the largest population cohort in Canada. And those people are starting to eye suburbia uh, the same way their parents did, that white picket fence to, to raise children. So there's a, a transition in that way. What has caused condominiums to uh, have a real strong, call it second half of the game, second half of this pandemic uh, market expand, uh, pandemic era market expand, expanding is the return of the investor and uh, and a, a, a class of, of renters that have been had to exit the market over the last year and a half. So who am I talking about? Uh, first are those people in hospitality, travel and tourism that that lost their job and are just now getting back to work. Many of them vacated the properties they were living in and moved in with family or friends. They're returning to the market. Mm -hmm. uh, the second group are foreign students, what we call temporary uh, temporary uh, residents. Canada is the number three country in the world to host foreign students. And we have some 830,000 foreign students who will be in Canada, um, you know, most of them here by September of 2021, certainly by 2022, they need to put a roof over their head and most will rent. And then the final group are new Canadians, uh, immigrants. We know from our research that in the first three years in Canada, the vast majority rent and their favorite form of rental is the condominium, again, a source of, um, of, of income for entrepreneurial investors. So condominiums have come back in a big way. Altogether, um, what we're having is 2020 saw a rise in young people buying because interest rates made 
things cheaper and how and homes did get cheaper for a period mid-year last year spring and through mid-year so we had a wave of young people call it 25 to 35 some of them got priced out as the market went through existing homeowners um got got felt comfortable as vaccination rates uh rose and they started mixing in society again and and started trading their homes and that kept the the wave of transactions going through the first half of 2021 and it's the new canadians the people returning to work uh for temporary canadians that are going to uh, push much of the final uh phase of this of this uh expansion so um first first half of the year we were looking at close to 30 percent price appreciation unheard of numbers really uh, for for a full year but when the when the buck stops uh on 2021 we believe the number will be closer to uh 16 percent for the full year 2021. now does that mean that home prices are going to drop in the second half no and this is something that's important for real estate professionals to understand there's a difference between absolute price increases and the rate of increase. So if the rate is rising at say 27% and it slows to say 5% and you mix a year of five, six months of 5% with six months at 27, on average, prices will still be higher in December 31st than they were on June 30th, but they'll go up very slowly in the second half resulting at the end of the year in a more moderate mid-teens increase, something we have seen about once every decade. Um, so I'll stop talking because I could go on forever with the numbers. The, the, the bottom line is the pace of price increases is slowing. We believe the expansion will continue right through the spring of 2022. Uh, the, so home prices won't back off, but this frenetic, highly supply constrained market should should be more moderate uh in the coming 12 months than they were in the previous so you also answered my last question <laughs> okay so you're off the hook phil we did it we did the whole thing uh you know anybody watching knows that we we are friends and this was a lot of fun for me to have you on um and uh you know i hope we can do this again in the future um, I, I know you're enjoying your golf. I know you're going to be enjoying getting outside. I, I know that you travel to visit kids now. They're all over the country. Um, so I just want to wish you well, stay healthy, and uh, we'll get together personally as soon as we can. Howard, thank you for having me on, and good luck with this. It's uh, an excellent venture, and I think you're very good at it. Thank you so much, Phil. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye for now. We'd like to thank Phil Soper, and we'd like to thank you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast network or on our YouTube channel. And to get in touch with us, you can reach us two ways. One is by email, info at rewithhd.com, or on our website, rewithhd.com. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.